This is the National Archives podcast series, UFO File Releases, presented by Dr. David Clark. Hi David, welcome to National Archives. Thanks for helping us on these files. Can you please introduce yourself? I'm David Clark, teach um, journalism at Sheffield Hallam University, and uh, I've been interested in UFOs for a number of years and have been um, working on the, uh, the records that have been released at the National Archives on the subject. What have the National Archives released today? From today is the beginning of a process in which the, um, the MOD are transferring a number of files, I think around 160 in all, over a three-year period. And, and what's been released today are the first collection of files under that transfer, which, which are eight files collected by different departments, branches of the Ministry of Defence from the early 1980s and late 1970s. And it's going to be a chronological release released over the next three years be probably about five to ten files released every other month and the first um, collection as I've, as I've mentioned is from the early 1980s and late 1970s. And where can people access these files from? Uh, they, can be, um, they can be accessed via the, the, the National Archives website and there'll be a special section of the website where you will be able to download the files as PDFs and I believe that they will be, uh, they'll be free under the Freedom of Information Act for the first month. What's the significance of these files? Why are people going to find these files interesting and, and what, are, what are they going to reveal that maybe was previously unknown? Well, it's been known for some time that the, uh, the Ministry of Defence and before the Ministry of Defence, the, the Air Ministry, have been collecting um, or receiving these reports that, of things that people have seen in the sky that they haven't been able to explain since at least the, the early 1950s. And there's been... Um, a section of the Ministry of Defence um, that, have, that have been responsible for looking at these reports from the point of view of whether they're of any defence significance. Now, there's been lots of speculation, both on the part of um, civilian UFO investigators and by the media over the years as to what, really, the MOD did with this um, material, what conclusions did they reach. Did, they, did the Ministry of Defence believe we were being visited by aliens? All those sorts of questions... And also, there's a lot of conspiracy theories that have grown up, both in this country and um, in the USA, about the military interest in UFOs. And what we're actually getting to see in these papers are the actual facts. People can now be able to examine the actual papers, the um, modest inquiries that were done by the ministry into the reports that they've received over the years. And they've received something like, I think, 11,000 reports from members of the public and from um, the armed forces since the, the late 1950s. All of these have been collected, filed away. Some of them have been um, investigated. There's a lot of interest in there for historians, for social historians, military historians. Whether you believe that we're being visited by aliens or not, there's still a lot of social and historical significance in these reports. What's been released um, regarding the House of Lords debate is, is, is very interesting because at the period, this, this is from the very earliest period when, the, when this new file release begins from the late 1970s, early 1980s, and this, um, this debate was held in the middle of the winter of discontent when there was um, strike action, there were bodies piling up in the streets. It was a pretty miserable time, and in the winter of 1978-1979, Lord Clancarty who um, was a, a UFO in enthusiast. He received his title, went to the House of Lords, and the, one of the first things he decided to do was to table a debate, which was, was quite unique, as far as I'm aware, in, um, in parliamentary history, where in the middle of a national crisis, the House of Lords, for, for one day, 
halted proceedings and had this full-length, full-day debate on UFOs. And Lord Clancarty's aim was to get, was to persuade the the Ministry of Defence to launch a, um, a public inquiry into um, the UFO mystery, which at that time, in the late 1970s, was very much in people's minds. There'd been a, a lot of, of, of sightings around the world following um, a lot of media publicity. Um, Steven Spielberg's film Close Encounters of the Third Kind had been released in 1977, and it's quite interesting that if you look at the, the figures for the number of sightings reported to the Ministry of Defence, um, the number of sightings doubled in 1978 to 1979, which shows that the, the amount of interest there was at this time. So Clancarty... Because of the fact that he was a member of the House of Lords, he was able to um, to get the subject raised officially. And what we're actually seeing in these files is the uh, what went on in the background. The Minister of Defence said, "We have to take this subject seriously. This is going to be debated in the, uh, in the in the Lords." And the papers show that they went to a considerable amount of of, of work to actually to, to produce background briefings for Lord Strabolgi who was to uh, deliver the, um, the government's uh, response in the House of Lords. And quite a number of um, eminent scientists who were in the Lords at the time took part in the debate. There was all manner of different ideas and theories and beliefs that were, that were aired during the, um, during the debate. Can you give me some of the examples of from the information, the points that were raised in, the, in that report? Um, well, the, the background briefing is quite, quite interesting, actually, because it does actually set out in there the government policy on UFOs, and, and they keep emphasising again and again that they aren't, they aren't interested in the scientific significance of unidentified flying objects. They're only interested in the, um, the possible um, defence significance. So the basic policy that they had was that all they were interested in, from, from, the, from the point of view of UFOs, it was to determine whether... A specific something that was seen or reported, could it be uh, an enemy aircraft? Because at the time we were still in the Cold War and there was still the threat from the Soviet Union. So from the military point of view, UFOs, they were only interested in from the point of view of whether it could be perhaps a, a Russian aircraft or a Russian spy plane or something of that kind. As soon as they were able to say this particular UFO isn't, an enemy aircraft, they weren't interested then in pursuing it any further. The response that was put together by the Minister of Defence to, to present the, um, the, the Ministry's position in the House of Lords, the, the closing remark that, um, that were made by the Ministry in their presentation were, as for telling the public the truth about UFOs, the truth is simple. There really are many strange phenomena in the sky, and these are invariably reported by rational people. But there is a wide range of natural explanations to account for such phenomena, things such as space debris burning up in the atmosphere, stars and bright planets, aircraft seen from unusual angles, and natural phenomena such as ball lightning. Their position was that there is nothing to suggest to Her Majesty's government that such phenomena are alien spacecraft. The Americans were obviously interested in this early on, and they they did a report which suggested that 90% of all phenomena could be explained by something else. Could you Tell, tell us a bit more about that, that report. Yeah, well, um, the, 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 the phenomenon of, U- of flying saucers or uh, UFOs as it became was taken very seriously by the Americans. The first, the first sighting was made in America in 1947 by Kenneth Arnold, which actually coined the, the, the phrase flying saucers. And the, the American, the US Air Force, set a project to, to investigate this, these sightings. It was first known as Project Sign, it became Project Grudge, and in 1952 it became Project Blue Book. And they collected something like, well, several tens of thousands of sightings were reported to them, 
1969, they, uh, the American Air Force awarded a contract to the University of Colorado to study this material. And they produced a, a report which concluded, as you've said, that 90% of these sightings could be explained by um, known phenomena, man-made phenomena and um, natural phenomena, and that they recommended no further work was done on it. Nothing of scientific significance had had emerged from the material. And from 1969, Project Blue Book was closed, and the Americans since that time have said that they've got no official interest in the subject any, any, any further. What's unique about the British records that are now being released is that Although we relied upon those American conclusions, we, the British never did a, a similar study like Project Blue Book. We decided, to, nevertheless, to continue collecting these reports. We didn't bring our investigations to a close, seemingly, and, and so the, the Ministry of Defence have continued to, to, to receive these reports. Occasionally they've looked into them in a little bit more detail ever since, right up to present, which I think is, is where the British records are unique because the Americans, their records end in 1969. So moving on to the records that we've just released today, um, what do you think are the most significant documents or the most interesting documents contained therein? There are a mixture of of documents that have been released. Um, There are reports files which are running a chronological order, so you've got simple collections of reports that have been made to the MOD by members of the public who've who've written in or or they've, they've called the police or... The, the local Air Force base after they've seen something. There are also correspondence files, which have got lots of um, interesting material, internal correspondence between the different Ministry of Defence departments that looked that were responsible for looking into the topic, and also parliamentary correspondence. So you've got all the background material about the House of Lords debate in 1978 and 1979. You've also got a very clear statement of government policy on UFOs, there's a, um, a background briefing that was prepared by the, um, the Defence Intelligence staff in 1982 for another House of Lords question. And in there they say quite clearly, and it's, it's one of the clearest policy documents that, that has emerged so far from these records. They say, why were UFO reports referred to the Ministry of Defence? And they reply that the government is not interested in the scientific significance of these phenomena as such. They're only, they only examine UFO reports to determine whether they could be aircraft illegally in UK airspace, i.e. Russians or some other enemy aircraft. That's the clearest statement that, that, that they've made, as far as I'm, I'm aware, on this, on this topic. And there's, there's a lot of confusion as to why the Ministry of Defence continue to look into this subject, and it is purely from that defence perspective. If I, if I was a reporter citing of a UFO, what would happen? Is, is there a standard form that they would fill out that we can see in these documents? Is there certain criteria? Yes, exactly. There is, a, there is a standard form that's been in use since at least the mid-1950s. And when you look through the UFO report forms that are, that are in these um, records, they, what would happen is if you saw something unusual in the sky um, and you, you were quite concerned about what it, what it could be, you would probably ring your local police station or maybe your local air base and they would have a um, a standard form that they would have for the reporting of this. They would take details down from you, and you you will see in these records this form. There are something like eight or nine sections to it, A, B, C, D, E, and it will be date of sighting, time of sighting, direction of sighting, description of what was seen. They would fill this in, and they would send that through to the Ministry of Defence, and it would go to a, um, an, an air, air staff secretariat branch at Whitehall that was the, the central focus for the collection of UFO material. They would copy it to two or three other internal branches in the MOD who would, who would if they thought it was a, a significant sighting, they may check 
to see if anything was seen on radar, and it would go to a, a variety of, um, of officials who would be interested in the air defence aspects of these sightings. Mostly, they were just looking at what was seen on these forms, sometimes checking whether anything could be corroborated on radar, but mostly they didn't follow them up to any great extent. That doesn't mean to say that there isn't anything interesting in these, in these papers, though. Well, most of the people reported UFOs mad. It has to be said that the vast majority of them were just ordinary people who'd seen something unusual and thought that they ought to tell someone about it. I mean, there are some very, very um, bizarre reports in these files. In fact, there, there's at least two in this collection that have just been released where people who believe that they've been in contact with, um, with aliens or met aliens felt the need to report what they'd seen to the Ministry of Defence. Could you tell me a bit more about that one? Yeah, there's, there's, there's the one quite interesting report that was sent in by um, a, a ufologist who'd interviewed a, an elderly man in Aldershot who claimed he'd been out fishing one night in 1983. He'd seen a flying saucer land by the side of the Aldershot Canal and he'd been given a tour of this um, of this spaceship by um, by two creatures dressed in green overalls who'd emerged and they showed him around this flying saucer and they started to scan his body and then they said oh no you can go because you're too old and infirm for our purposes this um, this person um, reported this he got into the local newspaper and a ufologist went along interviewed this um, this this witness and sent the report to the Minister of Defence and he did that because he thought well this happened at Aldershot it's near the military barracks you know this might be something of interest and there are lots and lots of, of letters like that in these files, and they're, they're fascinating, really. But there's no evidence that any of these contact reports or, or sightings of aliens or anything like that were, t- were followed up by the Ministry of Defence. In fact, there's a little note on the, the Aldershot one that just says, no reply. Where were most of these reports or, or sightings? The majority of the sightings do seem to reflect population density and that you do get a lot of sightings in city centres, such as certainly London seems to generate a lot of reports, and a lot of those seem to be uh, simply of aircraft lights. But you also get, quite in these, in these papers, there are a lot of interesting reports made by pilots, both civilian pilots and also by military pilots. For instance, um, there, there is quite an interesting um, report in, in the files from September 1985 where you got a, um, the crew of a Royal Navy seeking helicopter from uh, Caldros in Cornwall and they, they filed an official report on uh, two unidentified objects that they tracked on radar for 40 miles and this was sent through to the Ministry of Defence in London, and they say that the um, the radar performance characteristics indicate that these objects were not spurious contacts, i.e. they weren't something caused by weather conditions, and they obviously thought it was something so unusual that they wanted to file an official report. So that was a military pilot um, in this case, but there are also lots of instances in these papers of civilian aircrew who've seen things whilst they've, whilst they've been uh, um, on, on, on flights across the UK airspace. One in particular where um, the crew of a civil airliner over the UK on the 5th of September 1986 saw an unidentified object passing very close to the port side of the aircraft. And they were obviously very concerned about this. They wanted to know, they, re- they sent the report through to the ministry, they wanted to know, was this an asteroid? Was it, retur- was it space debris burning up in the atmosphere? Or was it some kind of missile? And they say in the, in, their, in the report that if it's established that it was a missile, then the captain and the crew are very unimpressed as the aircraft was, was coming into land at 19,000 feet at the time. This is just one of a whole collection of similar reports by civil 
aircraft crews that you can find in these papers where they've seen things that are described as large, elongated, black objects, sometimes described as missiles, that, that they think that they've seen flashing down the, um, the, through the sky that they've thought were, were so close in some instances that they've reported it as an official air miss and they've had to have an inquiry. Um, can you give us some, some other documents or files or incidents that are contained in, in these files? One of the most Im- interesting um, reports in this particular collection of papers is a report of a, um, a UFO actually touching down on a civilian airfield runway in 1984, in April, and this is this is a report that was made by a, a senior air traffic controller with 14 years' experience, and he and two other senior staff, both with considerable um, experience, were on duty in the control tower of this particular airfield, which is not identified in the papers, and they were actually talking in a light plane on on one of the runways, and the the, the senior controller scanned the sky. As he, as he reports in the papers, and he said he observed lights in the sky coming down on another runway and told the contra- controller his plane was actually on runway 27 and not 22, where he thought this plane was coming down. Then the plane itself called down for runway 22, and everyone at that point became aware that the object was, was unidentified, as they describe it. And as they were watching this thing, they said that it came down at speed in a near vertical climb, appeared to touch down on the runway, and then disappeared. And... They were so concerned about this, they filed an official report. But what was the thing that they saw? I mean, there is, there's no evidence from the papers that um, any further investigations were done, and it remains a mystery. I think this is one of the highlights in these files. It's obviously a subject matter that, that captures the imagination. Um, there's an example of, of one member of the public who, who believes um, he was actually in contact with... Um, an alien called Elgar. Yes, I mean, in the files there are, there are lots of long rambling letters from people who've written to the MOD who believe that they've seen aliens or been in touch with aliens. And in this particular um, release of papers, there's a very long letter from someone uh, in Cheshire who'd written to the MOD in January 1985 describing what uh, he, he says was his physical and psychic context with aliens, and these are green aliens, that he'd been seeing since he was a child. And one of them, who he, who he calls Algar, was apparently killed in 1981 by another race of beings who wanted to stop him telling the government about what he knew. And it's a very bizarre letter in which he says that he believes that um, he's actually been on these um, flying saucers and he's, he's been to their bases under the Wirral. And there's, there's actually a, a description of how he saw one of them shot down over Wallasey Town Hall. You can, you can imagine what the um, person at the MOD must have thought when he received this letter and thought, what, what do I say to this person? And, and he simply scribbled on, on the letter, no reply. Would it be fair to say that most, if a policeman or, or an airline pilot or an RAF member reported um, a sighting, they were held in, in slightly more credibility or with weight than, than a member of the public? Yeah, that, that's definitely the case. I mean, the, the Ministry of Defence would certainly take um, reports from um, military pilots and from civil pilots a lot more um, seriously than they would um, from reports made by members of the public. And and if it was a report made by a member of the armed services and it was made in good time, that they received it and were able to investigate it very, very quickly, they in some cases they would be able to sort of do a, a radar replay in order to see whether there was anything that was, that was, that was seen by the air defence system at the time that the sighting was made. That, that seems to have happened on, on very, very few occasions. People are always going to think or assume that there is, there is some sort of cover-up by the, by the MOD, but these records clearly show that you know, everything that they'd seen or knew of was, was detailed and recorded. 
there's obviously skeptics out there. Do these records show that the MOD are being open and transparent and making available all the documents they have, which will discourage people from believing there is Little Green Men? Well, I think these docu- the very fact that these documents have been released show that there isn't a cover-up, and I do. Th- it's, it's a good move on behalf of the, um, the Ministry of Defence to actually put this material into the public domain and to demonstrate what they know, which, which doesn't really amount to, um, to much about the subject. They've collected these reports, they've, they've done exactly what they've said, you know, they've checked them for defence significance, and, and, and that is the, the measure of their interest. We can only go on the material that's been released, and it does seem to, to back up what the Ministry of Defence have been saying for many, many years. There is a specific example in the files that relates to a, a group of policemen who saw what's described as a meteorite flashing flashing past them and, and descending on Horschel Common. Uh, that's quite interesting uh, and, and significant. Maybe you could tell us a little bit more about that. Yes, this is, this is one of the um, one of the more amusing reports to, that you find in these files. It was a UFO that was seen by a group of policemen, including a, an inspector and some police constables in Woking. Now, Woking has got a, an historic contact with uh, with H.G. Wells in that um, he set his novel, War of the Worlds, in, in that part of Surrey, and it's, it was Horschel Common where the, the Martian cylinders first fall in his story uh, before the, the Martian invasion of the Earth begins. And, and the, this group of police constables, they saw on Christmas Day 1985 what they described as something like a bright uh, light, a meteorite, descending into the Horschel area. And there's a little scribbled note on the report from these policemen that says, this is a genuine report, two competent police officers slightly embarrassed Horschel Common features in the H.G. Wells story. So you can imagine that, uh, that they were thinking, we've seen this thing, we ought to report it, but it's going to look like a bit of a joke. Are, are all the uh, the sightings recorded in here, are, are there things that we've seen in, in the sky? What is actually significant about this collection of papers is that because because they, um, they relate to the early 1980s, this was when the first mysterious crop circles in, uh, in, in fields of wheat and barley began to appear in southern England. And there's a very interesting um, report from August 1985 in these papers that was sent to the MOD by a lieutenant colonel in the Army Air Corps. And he had done a, a bit of a, a private investigation of one of these crop circle formations that had turned up in a field near Andover in Hampshire. Uh, the, the farmer who lived nearby had called the, um, the army base, the nearby army base, to report some extraordinary depressions in a field of near-ripe wheat. And he'd actually called in saying, what on earth were the Army Air Corps up to now? Because he thought it was the army that had caused these things. And they were absolutely amazed, according to this report in these papers, to, to, when they went to investigate, and they found what they describe as an exactly circular hole in the wheat which had been laid flat in a clockwork, clockwise twist 40 feet in diameter. And this large central circle was surrounded by four smaller circles. And the army team took photographs of this crop circle. They actually returned later on, presumably in a helicopter, and took some aerial foot pictures as well. They forwarded their report and the photograph to the Minister of Defence in London. And they said that they were completely baffled. They couldn't find any reasonable explanation of what was seen. And what's interesting in these papers is that although the, the Ministry of Defence thought, well, this is not a UFO per se, but it's still interesting. And it was actually passed to the Defence Intelligence staff for them to have a look at the, at the report and to see what conclusions they would reach. And there's a very interesting memo in these papers from DI-55, who were the, um, the defence branch responsible for UFOs, and they reply to the, um, to the ministry saying, these circles remain a mystery, but purely from a defence viewpoint, we don't think that there's anything in the report to worry us. They leaned towards there being some kind of natural phenomena, such as mini tornadoes bouncing off the ground that were creating these crop circles. 
And it's, it's quite ironic in hindsight that we now know that the vast majority of these circles were hoaxes, that they were created by um, certainly the ones um, that, were, that were found certainly in Hampshire and the, the south of England at that time were created by two men called Doug and Dave who, who came forward in 1990 and said that one night um, after a drinking session in the local pub that they decided to go out and create a hoax with a garden roller and some planks of wood and they were behind the vast majority. Some of the others remain mis- um, unexplained and mysterious but it's, it's, it's very interesting now looking at these papers to see that they even puzzled the Ministry of Defence. They weren't able to find an explanation, and yet we now know that um, certainly this site, this, this particular circle near Andover, was one of the ones that were created as, as, a, as a hoax by, by these, two, um, these two men. Uh, one of the most famous incidents in, in, in UK ufology legend is the is the Rendlesham issue. These files spread some some light on that incident there. Can you tell us a little bit more about what they what we discover from these ones today? Yeah, the, the Rendlesham incident has become uh, the, the, the British equivalent of Roswell, or it's Britain's Roswell, it's often called. It happened in December 1980, around the time that this series of files that have just been released begin. And you'll find in these files a copy of Lieutenant Colonel Holt's uh, report to the Ministry of Defence. He he was the deputy base commander at RAF Woodbridge in Suffolk in in December 1980. And he sent what is now a a very famous memo to the Ministry of Defence reporting on a a, a UFO that that had been seen outside the perimeter fence at RAF Woodbridge by a group of airmen. And when these papers begin, the, the incident had, had, had just reached the, um, the public. It had been released. A copy of um, Colonel Holt's memo had been released in America under the American Freedom of Information Act. And in October 1983, it was splashed over the uh, page one of the News of the World, UFO lands in Suffolk, and that's official. And the papers that have been released show the reaction of the Ministry of Defence to the, to the worldwide... Um, sensation that this report had created and it led to um, a former chief of defense staff lord peter hill norton writing to the mod to to ask for a meeting to discuss this because he he'd read the reports and he wanted to find out what what was behind it he was intrigued and there were lots of um letters between um lord hill norton and the, the Ministry of Defence in these files. And what's quite interesting is there is um, a very detailed um, briefing paper that was, pre- that was prepared for, for the meeting that the MOD had with Lord Hill Norton in 1985 about the, um, about the Rendlesham incident. And the briefing says that the Ministry of Defence made inquiries at the time that checked the radar traces, which was quite an exceptional thing for them to do, but they weren't able to find anything that had been spotted on radar at the time of the of the incident. And there's a very interesting passage that seems to sum up the Ministry's attitude to the Rendlesham incident. And it says that, I think you will agree that it's highly unlikely that any violation of UK airspace would be heralded by such a display of lights as was reported in the Rendlesham Forest incident. We think it's equally unlikely that any reconnaissance or spying activity would be announced in this way. And we believe that the fact that Colonel Holt did not report these occurrences to the MOD for almost two weeks after the event, together with the low-key manner in which he handled the matter, are indicative of the degree of importance in defence terms that should be attached to the incident. The National Archives has got a long track record in bringing history to to life and and, and making um, historical material available to the public. This is is a really significant landmark in that, in, in that the MOD are planning to release the largest single release of records younger than 30 years in the department's entire history. 
We're talking a significant amount of, of paperwork here, and all of this has got to be scanned. But at the end of the process, after the um, three to four years that are involved, you, we will see an entire collection of something like 50 or 60 years, beginning in the 1950s, right up to 2007. So anyone who's, uh, who's interested in any little way in this subject will be able to find something of interest. Uh, where can people access these files from, David? They can be accessed via the, uh, the National Archives website, which is www.nationalarchives.gov.uk forward slash UFOs. This was recorded live on the 25th of April 2008 at the National Archives. It was presented by Dr David Clark. This podcast is copyright of the National Archives, all rights reserved.